This is Westfair Business Buzz from Westfair Communications, publisher of the Fairfield County Business Journal. Here's your host, Phil Hall. Hello and welcome to Westfair Business Buzz. I'm Phil Hall, Senior Enterprise Editor at the Westchester and Fairfield County Business Journals. On today's show, Dan Newwash is with me. He is the head of Finance for Thought down in New York City, and we're going to be discussing a subject which is of great interest to a lot of business owners, and that's saving money, specifically reducing business taxes and expenses. And Dan has uh, four commonly overlooked ways that a business can reduce its taxes and expenses. And Dan, the first of your four ways is the payroll tax reduction plan. How can that help businesses in saving money? Um, Yeah, well, the payroll tax reduction plan, it does more than just help a business save money on payroll taxes or FICA taxes. It also substantially increases employee benefits. Um, And what we're able to do is we're able to actually decrease the taxable income for each full-time W-2 employee um, by $1,200 a month or $14,400 a year. Um, So what ends up happening there is the business is matching FICA taxes or payroll taxes. So if the employee is being taxed less, the business is then uh, matching less of those payroll taxes. Now the employee, their take-home pay is going to increase because you know they have twelve hundred dollars uh, or so a month that is not being taxed. But the caveat is, is they are not allowed to keep that increase as cash. Uh, it has to be spent on additional benefits. The IRS will not allow an employer to give an employee a cash incentive, that keyword being cash, um, in order to help the business reduce their tax burden. Um, So the employee will end up having tax credits to spend on additional, um, you know, health insurance incentives or or products or services, uh, such as a limited medical benefit plan, uh, life insurance, disability insurance. The big things we've seen recently um, due to the pandemic are actually accident insurance and hospital indemnity insurance. Um, Aflac's the you know the most well-known player in that field, but they're not the only. And that's you know if you go to the emergency room or you spend a couple nights in the hospital, the insurance company just cuts you a check to help uh, with any of those expenses. It won't be covered by your health insurance. Excellent. And obviously, we will not be doing imitations of the Aflac duck on this podcast. <laughs> no, no, it's, it's not one of my better imitations. <laughs> well, another uh, cost-saving idea that you present involves medical cost-sharing communities. What are medical cost-sharing communities? Um, so a medical cost-sharing community, um, I view it really as uh, the capitalist way to um, – to a solution that we have now, you know, a non-capitalist market, right? The problem with our healthcare market is we've essentially removed the consumer because normally a consumer is going to have a lot of choices and options, right? But uh, right now, um, over 50% of Americans under the age of 65 that have health insurance have it through their employer. And if you have health insurance through your employer, it's uh, likely only going to be one carrier. And if you're lucky, you might have more than one option, right? Maybe they offer a high deductible plan and a low deductible plan or, you know, two, maybe three different tier plans. But you don't have a lot of choices as a consumer. And then on the other side of that, on, you know, continuing with not having choices is 
uh, once you have healthcare, you now have you, you're now limited to a network, right? An HMO or PPO. So again, you don't have choices as a consumer. What a medical cost sharing com community does is one premiums are uh, you know, on average about fifty to sixty percent lower, uh, depending on the state that you're in normally, um, and it. It put it places the consumer back or gives the consumer back their power. You can go to any doctor or hospital you want. Um, you can, uh, you know, the, you have a much larger uh, array of choices and the providers you can choose from. Um, uh, they don't have deductibles. They call it an initial unshareable amount. They stay away from insurance language because they, one of the things they've done to drastically reduce the costs is getting around the regulation. Um, I think a misconception is that you know more regulation in the healthcare market is going to uh, is going to decrease the costs. I disagree with that. I think we I think le less regulation is going to is going to give the consumer more choices, more competition. Competition is always good for the consumer, and um, it's really placing more responsibility on the consumer as well. So. Uh, the way a medical cost sharing community normally works is you go to any doctor or hospital you want and you tell them that you are a cash payer, right? Um, if you call up any doctor or hospital right now and you say, hey, hey how much is this uh, procedure or this service? The first thing they're going to ask you is, well, who's your provider? That really doesn't make any sense. Why would the price of something change based off of who's paying for it? Well, if you're a cash payer, that price is going to be a lot lower. Um, I'd say 99 at nine out of 10 times at least, but more than likely 99 out of a hundred times. Um, so when you go to any doctor or hospital, you just tell them you're a cash payer. And then that medical cost sharing community is going to uh, give you the money to pay the bill. So you are personally paying that bill, but you've received the money from the medical cost sharing community. And it's putting more uh, responsibility on you as a consumer as well. But I think that's a good thing. Because it doesn't make sense that most people will spend more time researching a vacation than they would a major medical service or procedure. Well, Dan, you also mentioned another strategy for savings, and that's uh, captive insurance. You say that businesses that have high insurance premiums often overlook captive insurance. How can captive insurance help businesses? Uh, yeah, captive insurance, it's really kind of a way of self-insurance. Um, normally when a business starts paying a significantly amount, a significant amount in insurance premiums, uh, you'll see, it, it, you know, I'd say probably 250000 or more It's in, in a, a year in insurance premiums, it's probably worth taking a look at it. Um, actually, one of the largest captives or one of the largest insurance companies now, Allstate, they started out as a captive insurance company. Um, and it's really a way of self-insurance. So uh, what you do with captive insurance is you'll look at, um, you know, you pass five years of premium payments. And this isn't, this isn't just specific to like any line of insurance, right? We'll try and incorporate all lines, health, health insurance, uh, disability insurance, uh, liability, workman's comp. We, if we can try and put at least a portion of all this within that model. And um, if a company, you know, ends up paying, if they're paying, let's say, a million dollars a year in uh, insurance premiums and you look back at their claims and they've only, you know, received 500000 or so in claims out of the past five years, well, who's winning there? The insurance company is, right? Um, 
their captives aren't too good to be true. They're too good to be free, right? There is a cost to doing that. But what you're really doing is it's not necessarily saving money because you, uh, we try to make sure that you'll still be putting those same insurance premiums into uh, a, a business that you own, right? We create a company that you own. We have a captive manager overlook that company or that the business owns. And instead of paying those insurance premiums to another company, you're now putting those premiums or, you know, 50 to 80% or so of those premiums into an entity that you own. And an an interesting thing about captives, actually, back in 2018, uh, the IRS, there was a company that was trying to use a captive to underwrite uh, loss of business income due to a pandemic. And uh, in 2018, the IRS ruled against that. They said it was too small of a risk that they, that it really couldn't be underwritten. Um, so that's I think the IRS should really stay out of risk management and really focus on uh, the tax side of things. Um, but that's the other appeal of captives is you can insure things that you won't be able to do in the traditional insurance market. Uh, you can insure you know the loss of a large contract. Um, you can, uh, you know, ensure ensure um, if you have maybe a service provider that you only have one. You know, we had a client that received a spe- they were a lumberyard and they received a specific type of wood out of Argentina, and they were able to ensure um, the loss of that contract. So it's interesting in that sense that you're going to have more options and really more control in the risk management for your business. And last but not least, another one of your suggestions involves something called a 412E3 plan. And I have to admit, I never heard of this before uh, I read your advice. What is a 412E3 plan? Um, yeah, so a, four, uh, a 412E3 plan is uh, more commonly referred to as a defined benefit plan um, or 412E3. That's, it's not right or wrong to say to call it either. But uh, if you hear someone say defined benefit plan, that's really an array of defined contribution plans. Or, um, or I'm sorry, the, uh, the, um, the benefit that you're receiving that's being defined compared to a defined contribution plan like a 401k. Uh, you saw defined benefit plans, pensions also, uh, this could be called a pension as well. You saw these go away. They used to be very popular, you know, 30 years ago or so, but they're expensive. So you saw uh, a lot of these go away. And then a lot of a lot of companies, you know, turn to those defined contribution plans, such as 401ks. Um, and it's, I would say it's less of a uh, cost saving. It's It offers a much better tax benefit for the business owner. But uh, it's, uh, and while there is a saving through, you know, cutting taxes, it's really uh, more of a uh, savings arbitrage, right? Because you're just kind of putting this money away um, and, and that you'll be able to access later in retirement. And some of the key benefits to a 412E3 plan or defined benefit plan um, is uh, from a standpoint, uh, from a retirement standpoint, it's the largest tax deduction on, uh, for retirement planning under the law. It can provide you guaranteed income for life of up to $220,000 a year. Um, It's one of two ways to purchase estate planning tools on a pre-tax basis. And it reduces, uh, diversifies, or eliminates market risk. 
there's some downsides to them as well. It, the contribution that you're making is fixed and you can't borrow against them either. But from a business standpoint, if a business owner has kind of maxed out all their other deductions, that's normally when we look at a defined benefit plan or a 412E3 plan. Excellent. Uh, Dan, we've come to the end of this particular episode, but if our listeners wanted to continue the conversation with you, how could they get in touch with you? Uh, you can always go to my website, financeforthought.com. All our uh, information is in there. Um, my, you, know, you can find my email on there, our business email. Um, you can also follow me on social media. Um, on Twitter, I'm uh, at finance, the number four thought. Um, on Instagram, we're finance for thought. Uh, and th there's not a whole lot of new washes in America, so I'm pretty easy to find if you just do a quick search. Okay. Well, there may not be a lot of new washes, but uh, there certainly are even less in terms of uh, financial experts who can cogently explain a subject like this. So I do appreciate your taking the time to speak with us today. <laughs> I appreciate you calling me an expert. So. <laughs> okay, folks, you're listening to Westfair Business Buzz. I am Phil Hall, and we'll see you again next week. Join us again for Westfair Business Buzz. 